0: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. And today's episode is dedicated to a very special woman. This is one big happy birthday card sealed with a kiss to miss Dolly Parton. That's right. Sealed with a kiss and lots of glitz and glamour for Dolly Parton. Her uh,
0: 68th birthday was on January 19th, and we figured we should do an entire episode on her. And even though we're devoting an entire podcast just to Dolly, it was hard to fit Dolly's life and accomplishments
1: into only one recording, Caroline. Yeah, we started going through this timeline of her life. And all of her awards and her accomplishments and things. And I'm, I'm reading through it and I'm like, okay, okay. So she did this and she won this and then she wrote this and then she starred in this. And then I'm like, wait, no, I can't even keep track of all of this stuff because she has done so much in her 68 years. And we figured that she definitely deserved her
0: own. Podcast because, yeah, it's her birthday and she's Dolly, and Dolly really deserves the world, if you ask me. But she was an incredible, it still is an incredible businesswoman. She's a legendary performer, still performing, still touring, and she's often cited too as a feminist icon, Mm -hmm. even though that's not necessarily a label that she puts on herself. And she's one of those unique people where no matter where
1: on the the political spectrum you are, everybody seems to love her. Yeah, so much so that she is actually filling the Glastonbury legend slot during this huge festival's Sunday night performance in 2014. Yeah, yeah, I mean, because who wouldn't want to still see Dolly Parton? She's fabulous. She can do anything. She can wear anything, she can say anything, she can go anywhere, and people love her.
0: Yeah, uh, and she's incredibly talented, too. It we, we can't even hit all of the high points of her career because there are simply too many to list, and that would become the, the most boring podcast in the world. <laughs> but for instance, she's written over
1: 3,000 songs. And 25 of those songs have been certified gold platinum, and multi-platinum. And she
0: has garnered seven Grammy Awards, ten Country Music Association Awards, five Academy of Country Music Awards, three American Music Awards, and is only one of five female artists to win the Country Music Association's Entertainer
1: of the Year Award. And that's not even all. (laughs) That's not all, Kristen. She's the first artist to earn a number one record twice with I will always love you.
0: Yeah, and just on a side note of what a uh, what a persistent and diligent businesswoman she is in the songwriting field, the US Copyright Office database shows 862 entries for Dolly Parton as either author or claimant, and that wouldn't even include all of her copyrighted songs because the database started collecting after she was writing songs. Hmm. So she's always been very much focused on her goal of being who she is today, of this incredibly famous, talented, successful performer, Mm -hmm. and has always been really diligent as well on the business side of things, of making sure that Dolly Parton gets her due for all of the hard work that she has put into, not just her hair and makeup and clothes. (laughs)
1: Right. Right. Well, so on the business side of things, you know, obviously she has her Dollywood amusement parks. She also has a production company called Sand Dollar, which, by the way, produced TV's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She also has a record label, because why wouldn't she? Yeah. Yeah, and it's called Dolly Records. Sure. Because, of course, it would be called Dolly Records. Uh,
0: it, on top of that, she is an author. Her memoir is called My Life and Other Unfinished Business. And she's also written a children's book, The Coat of Many Colors.
1: Right, after her song of the same name, all about, you know, being a poor child growing up in Tennessee and her mother stitching together this coat out of rags and being made fun of at school. But now who's laughing? That's right, all the way to the bank in her sequin outfit. God, she's amazing. She's amazing. Well, so... I have said this on the podcast before, but you know, Dolly is an actress as well and she is in one of my favorite movies of all time. She debuted in 1980s nine to five with Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin.
0: Yeah, it's hard to recommend nine to five enough because it's hilarious and it's not only Dolly Parton, but it's also Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin Mm -hmm. and they are an incredible trio with a fabulous 80s wardrobe and there's some bizarre plot points but you've got to love it for what it is which is this snapshot of when women are really trying to make their way into the the workplace
1: and have to deal with all these sexist male bosses and they're not having any of it that's right and there's a shotgun involved and some bondage it's great um, She also had roles in Steel Magnolias, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, Rhinestone, and Straight Talk, in addition to TV shows, made-for-TV movies, HBO specials, uh, the whole thing.
0: Yeah, I think one of her most recent guest starring roles was on uh, Hannah Montana, because come to find out, she's Miley Cyrus's godmother.
1: Yeah, she has stuck up for Miley through a lot of this rigmarole in the media.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, Dolly's had to deal with her own rigmarole as mm-hmm. well, but she's always handled it. Very gracefully, because when it comes to Dolly, she she's just been so singularly focused on success and wanting to achieve her goals and accepting herself completely for mm-hmm. who she is. And it's kind of like, well, I'm Dolly. You can take me or leave me, but you're going to take me because I'm <laughs> precious. Uh, but we've got to go through her musical timeline as well, because it's incredible how early her talent Emerged. Because in, in 1946, she was born in Locust Ridge, Tennessee, and she wrote her first song in 1951. She's five years old, and she yeah. wrote this song called Tiny Little Tassel Top. And it was about this homemade doll that was made out of corn husks, and it was her friend.
1: Yeah, to further flesh out this image, Dolly was the fourth of 12 children, several of whom would later go on to perform with her. And she was exposed to music thanks to her mother, who sang, and thanks to music in church. She sang a lot in church. And in 1953, so the timeline goes, she makes her first guitar out of an old mandolin and two bass guitar strings. But bio.com said that a relative gave her her first guitar, so I'm not really sure what the real story is on that. Uh, I'm gonna believe that she made her
0: first guitar, because, yeah. She's Dolly. And, uh, side note, a lot of this timeline is coming from the Library of Congress, because she is a living legend, mm-hmm. from the, in the Library of Congress. So she's, she's actually a bona fide national icon. Uh, in, in 1956, by this point, she's become a regular singer on Knoxville's Cass Walker show. So she's 10 years old, and she's already having
1: these public gigs. Yeah, and in 1957, she makes her first recording, Puppy Love, on Gold Band Records. Uh, And in 1959, she gives her first performance at the Grand Ole Opry, No Big Deal. Um, And further, No Big Deal, she's introduced by Johnny Cash and performs his song, You Gotta Be My Baby, earning three encores at her performance. But she knows at this
0: point that she has to make the move to Nashville. She's got to get out of Sevierville, where she's growing up, into the big city if she's actually going to make it. Because as she was telling Terry Gross in a Fresh Air interview in the early 2000s, she didn't want to have the the life that her mom had. She, you know, she has what, seven younger siblings, eight younger siblings. And she essentially is already mother to these kids growing up. And she's like, I was already, you know, I, I'd already been a mother. I really wanted to be a woman and a successful woman at that. So she moves to Nashville. And the first day that she's there, she goes to a laundromat called the Wishy-Washy. <laughs> and that's where she meets her soon-to-be husband, Carl
1: Dean. So after marrying dreamboat Carl Dean, who is very tall and handsome, um, she goes on to chart. She on January 21st, 1967, she first appeared on the Billboard country charts with two singles recorded for monument dumb blonde at number 24 and something fishy at number 17. And you got to love dumb blonde coming out at this in this era because it just really attacked stereotypes about women.
0: Yeah, one of the the lines of lyrics goes, Just because I'm blonde, don't think I'm dumb, because this dumb blonde ain't nobody's fool. And that's one of the reasons why Dolly is so well-loved, whether you're a country fan or not, is because she has always been very... Pro women mm-hmm. and and very much stands up for herself. But 1967, the year Dumb Blonde comes out, is huge for Dolly because she releases her first full length album, Hello, I'm Dolly. And then on September 5th of that year, she first appears. On the Porter Wagner show, and I have a feeling that a lot of people have probably listening have probably not heard of Porter Wagner, but this was a huge break because the show at the time had three and a half million viewers a week, and Porter Wagner was this country star, this older kind of gentleman who would wear these razzle dazzle, rhinestone and tasselly jackets and called Dolly his little lady. And he he had this female sidekick for a while named Norma Jean. But then Norma Jean left,
1: and Dolly came on the show. And she was a huge hit. Yeah, she initially told Porter Wagner that she'd only stay five years because, you know, she she was on a mission. This was a lady on a mission, and she wanted to start her own solo career. But she ended up staying two years past that. And during this time... She, uh, she managed to land a contract with RCA Records thanks to her partnership with Wagner and scored her first number one country hit in 1971 with Joshua.
0: And from there, the years 1974 to 1978 are huge as her star really begins to rise with the help of being on the Porter Wagner show. But she really pretty quickly from that point starts to become a star in her own right because, uh, in 1974, we have Jolene. Yes, Jolene. Oh, Caroline, since I started researching for this episode, Jolene has been <laughs> in my head because it's, it's such a catchy, such a catchy old tune, you know, uh, but it reached number one on the country charts and number 60 on the pop charts, which the fact that she's already crossing over onto the pop charts is pretty huge. And from there, her next four singles also reach number one on the country charts, which include... I Will Always Love You, which she wrote for Porter Wagner as her song to say, listen, dude, I said I was going to stay for this long, five years. I've already stayed two more years. I'll always love you. I got to go. Things are going to be better for us in the end. It's actually not really a love song as you might think it would be if you've heard the Whitney Houston version from The Bodyguard. But it was really Dolly Parton kind of saying, you know, You got to go. Come on. I got to go. You got to go. That's not about Kevin Costner. It's not about Kevin
1: Costner. Well, you
0: but you know what? It can be about Kevin Costner if you want it to be.
1: (laughs) I want every song to be about Kevin Costner. And so within this, this very short time, I mean, 74 to 78, that's not actually that long, but she won the CMA female vocalist of the year award. She gets her own syndicated TV show. She ends her long professional association with Porter Wagner She releases New Harvest First Gathering, her first self-produced album. And the single from that album, Here You Come Again, hit number three on the pop charts.
0: Yeah, and that album ended up going platinum, making Dolly Parton the first female artist to have an album sell one million copies. And Here You Come Again earned Parton her very first Grammy for Best Country Vocal Performance by a female.
1: And the accolades don't stop there. 1980 Hits, 9 to 5 is released. Dolly earns a Golden Globe nomination for Best Supporting Actress, Best New Film Star, and Best Original Song, as well as the People's Choice Award for Favorite Movie Song and an Oscar nomination for the title song. It is that catchy, people. It
0: is so catchy. And uh from there, she stars in 1982's Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, and her remake of I Will Always Love You for the soundtrack earns a Grammy nomination. 1986, she's inducted into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. 1986, Dollywood opens. And in more recent years, because of all of these accolades that we have been blowing through, we haven't even told you every single one of them, she is essentially now just
1: starting to earn the, the Lifetime Awards. Right. Like, yeah, we just think you're awesome, Dolly. And so in 2004, that's when she received the Living Legend Medal from the Library of Congress. And in 2006, she was one of the celebrities recognized at the Kennedy Center Honors.
0: And I like how recently she received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Grammy Awards because I think, what, she already gotten like seven of them. And it <laughs> seemed like-, like Grammys were like, listen, Dolly, just here's an award. Just can you stop being so awesome? Other people have to get awards. Um, but she's not only popular, though, in the United States. I'm sure we have some inter- international listeners who are well aware of Dolly Parton. Uh, but academically, the one study I was surprised, the one study that we could find on Dolly Parton was about how popular she is in Zimbabwe. Yeah,
1: this was this was surprising to me. But uh, Jonathan Zilberg basically did like this anthropological look at the popularity that not only Dolly has but country music has in Zimbabwe and a lot of it just has to do with you know the entertainment that's piped through the TV and the radio and the fact that people identify with it but you know he looked at okay well why why Dolly why this like blonde you know big boobed white American woman like what is it about her and he cites you know a lot of her lyrics and her story itself her rags to riches story the fact that she did come from 12 children in the hills of Appalachia. You know, they didn't have much. And now she's this famous singer who sings about everyday experiences. She also incorporates uplifting Christian themes and sings those very easy-to-identify-with tragic love songs. Yeah, he said that
0: even Zimbabweans identify with the healing function, as he calls it, of Dolly Parton's music. So now that we have clearly established that Dolly Parton is an incredible, accomplished woman who is genuinely loved around the world we're gonna take a quick break and then talk about how she has parlayed her fame and wealth to help other people as well and now back to the podcast Honestly, I, like growing up, Dolly Parton was not played in my household. Mm-mm. You know, it's not, we, I wasn't like a hardcore Dolly fan or anything. It's only been in my adulthood that I've really discovered her. And while I don't really listen to her albums on repeat or anything like that, I love her hits and I just, I don't know, I, I appreciate her place in music history and in pop culture mm-hmm. in general. Because Absolutely. she's she's just been so honest and honestly unapologetic about who she is and what she's done with her notoriety and all of the, the money that she's earned,
1: such as giving back as the book lady. Yeah, back in 1988, she started the Dollywood Foundation to inspire children in her home community of Sevierville, Tennessee, And it funds the Dolly Parton Imagination Library across America and now in Canada and the UK by giving every preschool child a book each month from the time he or she is born until the child reaches kindergarten. And as of August 2013, the program had spread to 1,400 communities across the U.S., England, and Canada and given away almost 50 million free books. And Dolly holds this so close to her heart, she said that this was the thing that her father was most proud of her for, not her singing career not all of her country music awards, but the fact that she was helping children to read because she said, you know, if you as a child, particularly like a poor child, you know, you don't have anything to call your own. But if you get this book in the mail and it has your name on it and you learn to read it and you pour over it every month and then you get a new one, there's a sense of ownership and pride in the act of learning to read. You're going to tell your mama or your daddy to teach you how to read. And so that's something that she's very proud of.
0: Well, and what more empowering tool can you give a child than the ability to read?
1: Absolutely. You know,
0: um, but let's talk for a minute about her personal life because, I mean, her, her professional life is so huge. And at least from what I've known of Dolly before looking into her life for the podcast, I wasn't very aware of her personal life because I feel like she's always been pretty good at keeping the, the professional life at the forefront. Mm-hmm. But certainly her longtime marriage to Carl Dean, they've been married for nearly 50 years. I think they're actually about to renew their vows. Uh, but it certainly has attracted gossip and rumors as well, because she's worked so closely with prominent men, whether they're musicians or actors like Burt Reynolds. Mm -hmm. Um, And people always assume, well, Dolly must be flirting with these men. She must be having affairs.
1: I must have an open marriage. Yeah, there's a lot of speculation people are dying to know. And her quote is this, which is great. She says, I love to flirt and I've never met a man I didn't like. Men are my weakness. Short, fat, bald, or skinny. I've had crushes on some very unusual men. But Carl knows... I'll always come home, and I'm not having sex with these people. I'm just flirting and having fun. I love that that she says she's had crushes on unusual men. <laughs> That's so
0: perfect. Uh, well, yeah, because there was even a rumor swirling that they were in an open marriage because I think she she's made comments about like poking fun at long term monogamy because mm-hmm. I mean, come on, they've been married for like fifty years, mm-hmm. uh, and people were scandalized by that. But she always seems so unfazed by whatever kind of gossip people want to spread. Um, but one thing, too, she's talked about publicly is the fact that she and Carl don't have any kids, and she actually went through a tough time about that. Uh, she told The Globe at one point that she, in the 1980s, went through a bout of depression from, uh, for, from not having kids. She said, I went through a dark time. It lasted several months because I think I would have made a nice mama.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, she she had thought she might have kids, but her, you know, it was on hold because of her career and all of that stuff. And so then she she says, and I, I want you to like, I can't do a Dolly voice, but I want you to imagine this in Dolly's voice. She says, then one day I just said to myself, right, get off your fat butt. Or if you really are suicidal, then go and shoot your brains out. I thought, you know, Maybe God didn't want me to have kids so that everybody else's kids could be mine. Well, that's the thing too. She talks about how she has so
0: many nieces and nephews because she has eleven siblings. So there are she I think they call her what do they call her Great Aunt Granny is her name. They just call me great aunt Granny. I can't do a Dolly <laughs> Parton either, clearly. But one of the most fascinating things to me about Dolly Parton today is and with her relationship to women our age, especially Caroline, is how uh, how many times I've seen her being cited as this feminist icon, even though she's never out and out said, I'm a feminist. She's she's very much uh, loud and proud about her uh, Christianity and her kind of traditional family values. But at the same time, she very much supports gay rights and gay marriage, and she's been on the record about that. But in terms of feminism,
1: she pokes fun, but she's never said, well, I'm a feminist. Yeah, but I think her life is such an excellent example all in and of itself. I mean, the way that she has forged ahead with, with a smile on her face the whole time, you know, I mean... She has kind of laughed off all of this stuff as she has pushed through the big machine to become as successful as she is.
0: Yeah. And one of one quote she did give in response to uh, her thoughts on feminism was she said, I was the first woman woman
1: to burn my bra. It took the fire department four days to put it out. <laughs> womp. <bwomp. laughs> And one thing that people really like about her is just her very non-judgmental attitude. I mean, you look at the hair, you look at the boobs, and you might start to assume things like maybe she's not that smart. She couldn't possibly be a feminist. But what she's doing is basically championing your right to look any way you want. And I mean, she's definitely not shy about talking about her appearance, the wigs, the boobs, all that stuff. In fact, she says things like it takes a lot of money to look that cheap. Um, but she just uses the self-deprecation and humor and, and doesn't let it bother her. You know, she kind of took back the female form, you could say. Oh, yeah. I mean, the,
0: the fact that she has, she is so big, whether we're talking about her hair or her breasts or just how loud her uh, wardrobe tends to be. And it's, it's intentional on her part. I mean, she's even talked about how her look today, was inspired when she was a little girl by a prostitute in her town who she saw, and she talked about how she saw this woman walking down the road, and she was so glamorous because she had big hair and red nails, and she wanted to look exactly like her. And her mother noticed Dolly paying attention to this prostitute and was just scandalized and said, Dolly, don't look at that woman, no. And here, you know, now (laughs) she's like, well,
1: (laughs) sorry, Mom, not sorry. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the song she's written, like Dumb Blonde, which we cited earlier, you know, don't think I'm dumb because this dumb blonde ain't nobody's fool. Uh, just because I'm a woman and nine to five, you know, just because I'm a woman, she says, my mistakes are no worse than yours. Just because I'm a woman, nine to five, talking about you would think I would deserve a fat promotion, all this stuff. And even with Jolene, you know, where in the story, this woman is trying to steal Dolly's man, Dolly's not calling her bad names. There's no hint of slut shaming in this song whatsoever. She's simply saying like, look, I know you're awesome. I know you're gorgeous. But oh, please, I love him. Don't take him away. Yeah. I mean, she's just
0: earnestly saying, I I can't compete with you, Jolene. So if you could just kind of disappear, that would be nice. Um And Dr. Amy Pelliff, who's the assistant director of the Comparative History of Ideas program and the affiliate assistant director of Gender, Women and Sexuality Studies at the University of Washington. Wow, that's quite a title, um, has also looked into this intersection of feminism and Dolly Parton from a performative standpoint, and she calls it Folk feminism, what she sees in Dolly Parton. Uh, for instance, she quotes Dolly Parton saying, I soon realized that I had to play by men's rules to win. My way of fighting back was to wear frilly clothes and to put on the big blonde wigs. And uh, Peloff is really uh, fascinated at how... I mean, when we talk about gender, we often talk about how gender is a performance. It's the things that you mm-hmm. put on. It's the the feminine versus the masculine really boils down to how you are acting and, you know, what you are wearing, these kinds of performance aspects. And when it comes to femininity, Dolly is like the highest, most heightened version of gender performance that you could really imagine. Right.
1: Well, I mean, she does say. I've always said that if I hadn't been a woman, I would have been a drag queen. Exactly. And I mean, that goes, I mean, she basically is, like, that whole performance art, the big wigs, all the makeup, the hair, everything. I mean, she basically is a drag queen. And uh, Amy Peloff also points out her contradictory identities, and I, I think that's interesting. And I wonder if this is part of why everybody loves Dolly, is because... You know, that extreme femininity, there's the male fantasy part, compared with the gay icon aspect of her performance. The simple country girl versus the jet-setting celebrity, the faithfully married woman versus the femme fatale, and then the straight woman versus lesbian. A lot of people have said, oh, well, Dolly must be a lesbian, because, you know, she's not out with her husband all the time, when, in fact, she's like, dude, we're just, she's my best friend, calm down. And then that whole dichotomy between the artificial and the authentic, that, (laughs) Almost everything about her, when you look at her, is probably fake, but she herself is so genuine.
0: Well, and she's so genuine about the fakeness. Right. You know, and and it was uh, one quote about the the sexuality aspect or the the sexualization of her body. She said, there's nothing sexy about my look. Men are not usually turned on by artificial looks, and I've always been like that. Like, she thinks thinks it's kind of laughable to even consider herself a sex icon just because she has large breasts.
1: Yeah, and I mean, she's been able to accomplish, I mean, just, you know, we blew through that timeline of her life, but, you know, this woman has accomplished so much and been awarded with so much, and she's done it on her own terms completely. She has been able to do everything with a smile, looking exactly the way she wants to look, doing what she wants to do, and still gathering all of this, all of these accolades, all of this notoriety. Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of it goes back to
0: her being a child in tiny town Appalachia and having this one dream and having some incredible work ethic, She's, Mm -hmm. she's even said that, um, you know, she has a lot of talented relatives. She's like, but I I don't think that any of them are as successful as I am because I don't know of anyone who really wants to work as hard as I do because I'm sure it was nonstop to write over 3000 songs. Mm-hmm. And do everything else that she's been doing. Um, and I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to just think about someone who today when I feel like in our social landscape, everything is so polarized. Everything is you either hate it or you love it. And it's rare to find a person who doesn't attract as much criticism as they do praise.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And. It's hard to find someone who want, can, can legitimately talk smack about Dolly Parton. Yeah. Even if you don't like her music, even if you're not a country fan, there's something to like about her. Yeah. And I think it's because of those kind of lines that she's able to skirt that you just mentioned of just like kind of somehow being everything all at once mm-hmm. and being totally humble and also self-deprecating about it, which I think the self-deprecation helps. Yeah. You know? So happy birthday, Dolly. Happy
1: birthday. And call us anytime. Yeah,
0: you can hang out if you ever want to pop over to Atlanta, Dolly. Now that we're directly addressing you as though you're listening to this episode. (laughs) But I want to know, though, if other people listening consider her a feminist icon. Are you a fan? Is there anyone out there who has a legit reason to not like Dolly? Let us know. Let's let's talk about Dolly. For her birthday, (laughs) momstuffdiscovery.com is where you can send your letters. And we've got a couple of letters to share with you right now. Well, I've got an email here from Heather about our New Year's episode on willpower. And she writes, hey, lovely lady podcasters, loved the New Year's Resolution podcast and thought I'd share my willpower story with you. I started smoking when I was 15 and smoked for seven years. After my appendix burst, oh my goodness, and a week and a half in the hospital and watching both of my grandmothers spend their last few years in and out of hospitals dying of cancer, I decided I had to quit if I didn't want to spend my last years in hospitals. Once my surgeon cleared me for the physical stress of quitting, I quit. It wasn't easy at all, but I did it. I used nicotine patches and a nicotine-free e-cigarette and bribed myself constantly. My rule was I could have or do anything I wanted except have a cigarette. If I wanted a pizza for breakfast, then I have it. If I want those new shoes that I don't need, I'd buy them. And it worked. Also, I avoided parties and bars where lots of my friends smoke and where I used to smoke for the first month or two. I saved all my willpower for my goal, and now over two years later, I'm still a non-smoker and proud. Did I end up spending a lot of money? Yes. Did I gain weight? Shockingly, no. Did I achieve my goal? Yes. Of course, I had to curb my bribery after a while, but it was easy because I'd broken my smoking habit and no longer needed to distract myself. I'm not a New Year's resolution girl, but I do achieve the few goals I set for myself. Please share my story to help others kick
1: their nicotine addictions. I like that idea of briberies. I'll take shoes. Yeah, sure. Right. Um, okay, I have a letter here from Elizabeth uh, talking about our crafting episodes and our technology episodes. She says, I really enjoy listening to your podcast, but sometimes get behind in episodes and will podcast binge while cleaning or cooking. It is probably only because I listen to the Women in Coding podcast, particularly back to back with the DIY Revival of Craft podcast, that I noticed you didn't mention how crafters, particularly women, are becoming incredibly tech savvy as a way to share, promote, and sell their crafts. The advent of Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr have done as much, if not more, than Etsy as a way for crafting communities to develop share ideas and bond together couple social media with blogs youtube videos and software and hardware using crafting and you have more women than ever using technology daily as part of their handmade craft very good point elizabeth thank you And thanks, everybody, who's written in to us.
0: MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is where you can send your letters. But you can also get in touch with us on Facebook or tweet us at MomStuffPodcast. And to find all things Stuff Mom Never Told You, including every single podcast we have ever published, every single blog, every single video, every single social media outlet we are on, which is a lot, there's only one place to go on the Internet now, and it's www.StuffMomNeverToldYou.com.